Blog Talk Radio. Greetings, I'm Ellen Rohr. At Bare Bones Biz, we believe that your business can be a path to peace, prosperity, and freedom. Sound good? Great. Welcome to the Bare Bones Biz Radio Show. Hey, if you just want to make some more money, you've come to the right place too. On my show, I invite smart business builders to share success tips and tell their inspiring tales of challenge and triumph. So, saddle up, Biz Builder. The Bare Bones Biz Radio Show starts right now. Woohoo! Yeah, a little cash register ring to start us off. It's Ellen Rohr, and welcome to the Bare Bones Biz Radio Show. And I have my soul sister for uh, for our guest today. It's Carol Roth. Hey, Carol. Hey there, Ellen. How are you? I'm great, and I love this radio show so much because I get the opportunity to invite folks I really love and admire and respect to come and visit with me for uh, for an hour. So that's what we're going to do today. And if you've joined us and the switchboard is just all over the place, we have so many people who've signed in today, you can call in. So if you want to, jot down this number, 347 Six three seven two two eight four, and I will interrupt us at any time. We'll answer questions. What's fun about this radio show is that we can make it specific to you. Carol and I share uh, a, a philosophy when it comes to business. We love business. We love making money, and we love helping you do that too. So we're going to be a, a little wild and woolly today. Fair enough. <laughs> I am, I'm highly really caffeinated, so I'm ready and raring to go. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Okay, so this is going to be high action. Let's do a little housekeeping. I just want to remind you that this radio show is uh, is a regular feature at barebonesbiz.com. Click on barebonesbiz.com. Look at the radio show. Carol's my guest this week. Next week, one of my great friends, Marlene Chisholm, is going to be on the, the show. And if you want to be kept in the loop about the cool business-building, freedom-enhancing tips and tools that we have for you at Bare Bones Biz, then sign up for our top tips for creating a profitable business plan right on the splash page at barebonesbiz.com. Put in your name and email address, and we'll keep you in the loop about radio shows, new videos, um, lots of great um, information, as well as an instantly downloadable top tips for building a profitable business plan and business. And if you want to be my Facebook friend, I'm having so much fun on Facebook. I go visit my nieces and nephews and everybody except for my son who won't befriend me, but that's okay. It, it, my son has allowed some space from his bossy mother. But I love keeping in touch with our business builders on Facebook too. So like our Bare Bones Biz Facebook page, you'll see us there. and We upload videos and role plays and tips and we give you our biz picks and and uh, favorite websites, and, and love having you in our community. So remember to call in, 347-637-2284. If you're listening to us online, you do have to call in to raise your hand, and you can raise your hand by pressing the number 1. If you want to just listen on the Internet, then you're welcome to do that too, and you can always listen again at blogtalkradio.com slash barebonesbiz. Okay, Carol, that is the um, that's the housekeeping segment of our call, and we want to talk about business today and why all businesses are not created equal. So I thought you might want to share us a little uh, share with us a little bit about your story. Tell us how did you come to be so uh, smart and savvy about business? 
Well, Ellen, there's a reason why you did the housekeeping and I didn't do the housekeeping because I'm no good at domestic types of things. So. Oh, that is so funny. You know, when my son came home from uh, uh, home ec in eighth grade, he put his hands on his hips and said, you know, you really don't know anything about this stuff. And I said, yeah, that's not why your daddy married me, but fair enough. All right, so, so but I have so, it written so, here, so that's yeah. what keeps me on track. We're, we're, we're still sisters in a lot of ways then. So. I know we are. So I'll give you the, the short how I came to be here. I am the white sheep in a family of black sheep. My mom was, in fact, Martha Stewart crossed with Cher. My father is a mobster crossed with a Jewish grandmother, and my sister is the lead singer of a heavy metal band. So somewhere yeah, Now, I never list, knew any of that. That's, yes. that's fantastic. Yes, yeah, so where I come from, nobody knows. And, in fact, my father um, loves to watch the Maury Povich show and wa- walks around saying, I am the father, and I keep asking for that DNA test because I'm pretty sure we couldn't possibly <laughs> be related. Uh, but, but anyway, I, di- I digress here. So, so I have always um, been... And I, I guess I'll give my dad a little bit of credit. He, he raised me um, with sort of no gender bias whatsoever. I was his only son, as he liked to call me. I was very competitive. I was into sports, and, and they just sort of let me do my thing. And um, and so I've always been just really, really interested in business and had this general commitment to excellence. So I ended up being the first one in my family to go to school, and I always shoot big, so I decided I was going to go to Wharton, and uh, in doing so, since my parents couldn't afford to send me, I had to work my way through school and take on lots and lots of college debt, so I was about 22 with about $40,000 in college debt and went, gee, Uh how am I going to pay this off? And when you're at Wharton and you have $40,000 in college debt, there's sort of two options. If you are somebody who really likes to dive deep and know everything about something, you become a management consultant. And if you are somebody who likes to do a million different things, then you become an investment banker. And since I have a bit of ADD, I became an investment banker. <laughs> and that started my path to um, to advising companies, although I will tell you that I've always been an advice giver. I've just been that person. My nickname is Lucy Van Pelt, like Lucy from the Peanuts, <laughs> the doctor is in. And I swear to God, if you walk with me down the street, People will come up to me and ask me questions. It's just really bizarre and something you have to experience for yourself. But I give off this energy that you should ask me for advice and information. So long story short, 16 <laughs> years of doing this, I have raised over a billion dollars in capital. I've done about That's three quarters. That's a B, everybody. I just want you to hear that. That's just a B. Yes, a billion. A, a One billion dollars. It's like Dr. Evil. Yes, billion dollars. Yes, three quarters of a billion in mergers and acquisitions. I've done um, licenses and joint ventures and partnerships for my clients with everybody from Walt Disney to Paramount to the singer Katy Perry. I've designed seven-figure customer loyalty programs and have now added author uh, to my list of things that I decided I should do in my free time. So it's um, it's been a lot of fun, and I really, really enjoy working with entrepreneurs and small business owners and providing very straightforward, no BS, realistic advice that you can get a return on. So that's uh, that's how you and I connected, and that is what I do. Well, I'm so glad you're here with us today. And business planning, you know, I like to uh, – 
I like to talk about business planning, and it sounds like it's kind of like dieting or, um, I don't know, it's the, the words don't really appeal to me, and I kind of went running from things like budgeting and business planning when I was a kid because I, I, the same way, I don't have an attention span at all, and not I real, think of myself not real sexy as, there, right? They're, no, no, they're Ooh, not. Business planning, yes. <laughs> but what I found, and I want to share kind of how I, I had a, a moment of, of clarity about this, and then I want you to share if you had a similar moment. When I worked with a group of venture capitalists, what, what I um, learned from a very uh, uh, brutal working environment, really, I was given money to create the uh, Benjamin Franklin, the punctual plumber, and it was a, uh, a daunting task in so many ways. But the very best part of this experience was I learned firsthand the power of intention, and intention coupled with a plan is pretty much unstoppable. And that's that's what the venture capitalists with whom I worked demonstrated to me. They intended their success and they had us craft business plans that were aligned with this intention. And yes. then they held us accountable to these business plans. You know, they actually, when we submitted uh, the the presidents in their venture capital group, the presidents of the organizations they were funding, had to submit business plans, which were then returned to us in hardback. They were bound. So they were serious about this. If you committed to doing this plan, this is your attempt to help us achieve this vision. And we are really clear that we're going to get there one way or the other. And I saw the power of that. And in a few years, these guys went from a $2,000 investment to uh, selling a company for $189 million. And I was so impressed with that, um, you know, how it was done. And so that's what really kind of turned me around when it came to business planning. It was the power of intention with an inspired plan to get you there. What, do you have a story along those lines that got you kind of turned on to business planning? You know, I think because I've grown up, um, you know, on sort of the um, fast track to business here, you know, with Warden working for a Wall Street investment bank, it's something that was always required. It wasn't even an option. And I always have this philosophy that if you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. And mm-hmm. probably not one sort of monumental moment, but just lots of casual observations about the people who had done their homework, what types of impressions they made, and people who had set tangible goals, how powerful that was. So I think it was really the observation in much more of a, a broad sense than necessarily one defining moment. But I think that it has worked for me in my life and it has let me down also in my life. When I am prepared, you know, I can conquer the world. When I have that very tangible goal, I can conquer the world. There have been periods in my own career where I've been kind of doing, um, just doing, frankly, really more than planning. And those are the times when I've really felt like I was on the treadmill. But when I had the actual goal, I was able to figure out the plan to get there, and, and it just makes sense. You know, if you need to know where it is you want to get to if you need if you want to come out with a route, right? You can't plan a route to get somewhere if you don't know where that end place is. So I think it's really critical. You know, the Boy Scouts touted they say always be prepared. And actually, you know, I, I do have one story for you, Al. This is this is a good story. It's not necessarily business, but I think it it will illustrate to you why it's so important to be prepared. So I was working um, on an M&A deal, and I was in a lawyer's office in downtown Chicago. 
and we were wrapping up late. It was a few minutes to six at night, and everyone was leaving, and I wanted to use the, the ladies' room before I went off to the train station because it was going to be a, a long ride afterwards. And the, uh, the, the associate said, okay, you know, here, here you go. Here's, here's the ladies' room, and come back out when you're done and uh, hit the elevators and whatnot. So I, you know, used the restroom, washed my hands, went to call my husband, and couldn't get any reception on my phone because it was the 50-something floor of, you know, the middle of the building somewhere in downtown Chicago. And then I go to leave, and I can't get out. Just the door does not open, totally locked shut. So there I am pounding on the door, screaming, help, I'm trapped in the bathroom, and nobody's coming to my uh, my help here. I'm sorry, so, but I'm laughing. That's so oh, rude. No, it's, it's, it's hilarious in <laughs> retrospect and when it's not happening to you. So, you know, so it's in that moment that I'm going, okay, am I prepared? Yes, I have snacks with me. Yes, I have a piece of paper and a pen. I'll write a message. So I write, help, I'm trapped in the bathroom, and slip it under the door and hope somebody will walk by and see it. And uh, long story, very short, I, I, I decided that there had to be a fire alarm or something I could pull. So I went back through the stalls, and I started opening each door. And finally, after about 25 stalls, there was a little, like, extra trap door on the back end, and it led out into the offices, which I was able to get out into, and then the door to the actual office was locked, and that was a separate issue. But what this tells you is that you have to be prepared, because if, if I had gotten trapped, yes, the paper would have come in handy. Yes, the drink would have come in handy. Yes, the snacks in my purse would have come in handy. A crowbar would have come in even more handy. Uh, but I really think if you anticipate kind of the, the tough situations, then when something totally unexpected happens, which it will, at least you can just deal with that and not have to deal with ten different crazy things going on at the same time. You know, it, re- it reminds me of that um, that uh, adage I heard once, trust in God but tie your camel, yeah. that we live in this dual universe, that, yes. that, that the universe loves the gesture. Yep, you're not going to be able to prepare for anything, but just by making a small attempt to not be a complete knucklehead, you may <laughs> save yourself from a lesson learned. Exactly. And be presented with other opportunities. Exactly. And oh, by the way, when I found the associate heating up the hot pocket in the uh, in the lunchroom, we had to stop by <laughs> and re-pick up the note because you know I didn't want everyone to see it. And of course, it was gone by that point in time. So I'm sure somebody had a lot of fun with that. <laughs> <laughs> They're looking for you, like under the stall. Is she still in there? Yes. All right. So, um, knowing how to plan. Now, we have, um, uh, you know, there. It, when your intention is clear, this is this is how I feel. Let me let me get your take on this. When your intention is clear, you could take a dozen different paths to get there. The senior thing is to be clear on what you really really want. So. Let's talk about. Well, before we do that, I want to talk about goal setting and getting clear on your intention, but. Let's talk about our, our overall topic is not all businesses are created equal. And you've got some definitions to share with us today. A jobby, a job, uh, a bona fide business, what, what are these things? Let's, let's get our, our, our vocabulary clarified. Yeah, so, so I'm, I'm really big at making up things, and, and words are, are one of the things I like to make up quite a bit. And I think that when people think about, oh, the different kinds of businesses, they may be thinking corporate structures. But I'm really talking about the types of businesses and what kind of risks and rewards and um, you know goals that they can reach for you. So the first place that a lot of times people start is with a jobby. 
And a job okay. is a hobby that is disguised as a job or a business or basically a hobby that you're making some money from. <laughs> and a jobby is actually great for a lot of reasons, Ellen. Don't get me wrong. A jobby is great because if you can have a hobby that makes a few bucks, it's often better than a hobby that sucks up all of your money, like imagine golf would. And, right. uh, <laughs> and I think also it's a great testing ground. I'm a big advocator of testing out a business concept before investing all of your capital in something. And so if you can do something on the side to test out the viability of a business, I think that that's a fantastic thing. I think where a jobby gets people into trouble is what they come out from a place of passion and creativity, and I love my, my hobby or I love what I do in, in my leisure time, and I want to make a business out of this, and they don't have that intention at the end of the day, and they don't really have that plan, what often happens is that people spend a ton of money on a website and on gorgeous business cards and in inventory to whatever it is, make jewelry, make cupcakes, teach golf lessons, whatever it is that they want to do, and they're never going to recoup any of that money. So they could be working long and hard, but the reality is it's just a hobby that maybe makes you some money. So I think that you have to really balance out what your intentions are. If you just want a hobby that makes money, that's totally fine. But if you want something more, something that looks like a jobby and smells like a jobby is probably not going to get you there. So that's the first part of this, this job-to-business spectrum. And as you okay, move along, let, me, let, me just, uh, let me just jump in on that. I think that some of the myths that think small businesses are, are, are coming up for me here. Like one is that if you want to start your business, it is going to lose money right out of the gate, that it may take you a few years to recoup, recoup your investment. It doesn't have to. So I think one of the, the dangers of creating a jobby is the justification that it's okay if I lose money as I get started. I'm expected to. That's how it works. There's no other way. So that's that's one thing to keep in mind. And, and uh, planning can help you debunk some of these myths that have sunk a lot of businesses. And I think the myths are created by people who did that and now want to just uh, spread the, the, the fear <laughs> or justify why they, they didn't make their their jobby at least like you said it doesn't have to be I, I like businesses of all shapes and sizes you don't have to turn your business into the next apple if you don't want to it may just be a nice little um hobby that creates some cash that provides some vacation money whatever you want is fine but it doesn't have to be a money sucking sound you know um uh, to start that jobby yeah, so i just wanted to well, toss well, that out yeah well that's actually an interesting thing. I'd like to talk about the flip side of that, too. I think one of the things that I see a lot is that people sometimes have the opposite intention, is that I'm going to start a service-based business and I need to make you know, money day one. And I think the challenge there is if they're unwilling to invest in the business and they don't have enough money set aside not just to start the business but to invest in it, operate, and live on in the meantime, then they can get duck in what we'll talk about in a second, but the job okay. is something that looks a little bit more like a job, so maybe that's the right segue there. And okay, so, let's do that. That's that's uh, interesting because I want to I want to go back and forth on that a little bit. Yeah. So okay. I so think, what's the next What's the next level? What's the next th term to define here? Yeah. So the next term is a job business, and so this is this is kind of where I was heading. Is that 
sometimes people create a business that is entirely dependent upon them. And actually in our country, most businesses can be classified this way. I think it's about 22 million of them that look and smell a lot like a job because if you are not working, the business isn't making any money. And if you get hit by a bus, there is no business. So I have a friend, she's a massage therapist, she's phenomenal, but when she goes away, the business doesn't make money. And so it really is more like a job, but she's invested her own money for the privilege of having that job. And so the challenge with a job business is that if you don't kick up your model in the right way, and if you don't invest in it, you could end up working more hours with more stress for the same or less pay that if you had been employed somewhere else. And so mm-hmm. I think that that is you know, the, the, the kind of warning about the job business. For some people, it's great. Some people, they, they can make so much more money you know, freelancing or having a one-person business than they could elsewhere. But a lot of people think that they can, and when they go into and actually do the numbers and realize that, oh, my gosh, I don't get to bill for every hour. I have all these administrative things I need to do that, oh, by the way, are taking up like 45% of my time. Wow, I really have a job here. And so I think that, again, it's fine if that's what you're trying to create for yourself, but you have to understand the risks and rewards of being in a scenario like that. I want to I want to bring that up too because I'm just old enough to realize that I saw I saw um, Jane Fonda on Oprah the other day a, a couple weeks ago. She was fantastic, looked fantastic. And she was talking about the the stages of of her life, and she's in her 70s now. And she said, "I'm in my third act," and what that means is there's not a fourth act. Yeah. And I thought that was really an interesting way to say that. You know, your yeah. first act might take you to age 30 and then to age 60, and now she's in her, her third act as, as how she sees it. If she lives to be 90, which I, I can see her doing. Yes. But the idea that at some point in your life, and this, is some, this has come up with uh, uh, several of my clients recently, if you define yourself, if, if you're hearing that description of a job business and you're thinking, oh, that's me, now is the time to change that yes. because you could run out of time and not end up where you want to be, really want to be. That job business can be a, an ideal business model for a while, but if you're starting to feel the constraints of it, I'm glad you're on the call today. Don't forget to call in. If you've got a question, 347 637 Two two eight four, and you know, as I look at who's on the call today, some of you may be thinking, "Oh, she's talking about me." Okay, <laughs> so Carol, let's go back to our uh, now. So we've got the jobby, a job business, and now a bona fide business. Yeah, so a bona fide business is is often the holy grail, and I think the way I'd like to define it is a business that is not entirely dependent upon any one person. The business that actually has value separate from the person who's running it themselves. And so it could be a multi-person business. I mean, if you think about Walmart, you could take out any cashier, you could take out the chief marketing officer, you could take out the president, and Walmart still exists. It may hit a road bump until you replace that person, but the business still goes along. There's, There's a value there that's not dependent on any one person for that value alone. But it can also be a one person business. I know some great solopreneurs who have created models 
that are separate from them. And so they can go on vacation or they could sell their business at the end of the day and somebody else could take it over because it's not just about them and the way that they're doing everything. So I think that in terms of what you were just saying, Ellen, if you have the job business and you really want to think about what is it that I want to get out of this business at the end of the day, that a bona fide business can be something that really takes you to the next level and really may make that risk and reward equation for all the time and the effort and the money that you're putting in pay off in a really, really big way. Well, let's talk about that, too, because I know a lot of the, the folks who, who listen to this show are solo entrepreneurs or are trying to create a business where their skill, their expertise is really the foundation of the, the whole company. And my company is like that, too. This is what got us into other vehicles. I could only spend so much time one-to-one with clients, so we created a spectrum of services from the radio show to books and downloadable products to phone yes. consulting to the full super nanny treatment. You know, this is what we did with the, the idea that we could create a business that would go beyond just me or if I got yes. hit by a bus. And that's what we're working on here. And I think a lot of our, our listeners are are um, excited about creating a, a business that leverages their specific skill set but still provides them some kind of life and entity beyond just them. So let's talk about working on your business instead of just in it. That's our, our buddy uh, uh, Michael Gerber is yes. where I first heard that term. Correct. Yay. Okay, so talk about that a little bit, little bit. Even if you are a solo entrepreneur, expand on that point you just made. Um, how do you not get bound to um, being a job business if you are the primary person at your company? Give us some ideas here. Yeah, so I think the first thing that you have to do is you have to have a mindset shift, on. Because if you're somebody like me, and I don't know if if you have felt this at any point in time, but if you are really good at doing things, sometimes it's very difficult to delegate those tasks to other people, whether those other people are your employees or outsourced service providers. And so what happens... Are you laughing? Well, with me? actually, this is an area where we're different because if I could delegate brushing my teeth, I would. Would you? Well, that is yes. phenomenal. So my my um, challenge is that sometimes what I do, and I've gotten so much better at this, but mostly because I fell in some holes, is I will abdicate instead of delegate. <laughs> okay. Does well, that make sense? Yes. That and then is, I come back and go, oh, that's not what I had in mind. That, so that, that is just just as bad. So we're yes. on opposite ends of the spectrum, <laughs> and, and I think that we want to try and get everybody to the middle here. I think, <laughs> so. is, I think that but the issue that I find for a lot of entrepreneurs is that there are so many tasks on the to-do list that if you're just doing and doing what's in front of you, you're not creating a strategy, you're not creating a model to get your business to the next level. So it's really important to do a couple of things. One is to evaluate your model. Find out where you can bring in other people to provide Mm -hmm. value to your client. It's based on your ethics and your values and your guidance. But at the end of the day, you only have 24 hours in your day, and you are going to tap out. So you do need to make sure that you have a model that's in place that can accommodate other people providing value to your clients. And that could be in taking some things off of your plate in the beginning, and at the end it could be actually interfacing with your customers or your clients. 
And so sometimes it, you may say, well, you know, that's nice in theory, Carol, but, you know, how the heck am I going to do that because my to-do list is so, so long. <laughs> and then that's where you need to really be willing to take a couple of steps backwards, invest in your business, even if it's an investment of your time and an opportunity cost of saying no to some clients for a couple days or a week or however long it takes, to be able to take that huge leap forward. Take a couple steps back to take the huge leap forward. And it's so important, it goes back to what we were saying at the beginning, Ellen, with the plan and having the intention that if you're just doing, if you're just in action, and I know everyone likes to talk about being in action, but if you're just in action somewhere and you're not going in the right direction, you know, that's a tornado. <laughs> that's not real helpful. So, you know, I, I'm so relating to this. Now, my my basic uh, uh, strategy, you know, the tool that I use is the, the bare bones biz plan. We help folks create a binder and tab up that binder with the different areas of your business. And if you follow my lead, your binder is going to be different. It's going to be customized to you and your dreams and, yep. and your business. It's flexible, but it's it's better than just trying to keep everything in your head or post-its all over your yes. office, right? And, and, and as we visit today, um, dear listener, Carol and I, it's like if you if you want to drive a Chevy or a Ford, a truck is a good idea if you're going to be, you know, needing a truck. It doesn't really matter which um, a philosophy you adhere to. Find a voice that is is um, helpful to you. I, you know, I, we we were talking about. There's plenty of help to be shared <laughs> out there in uh, in entrepreneur land. I just wanted to comment on what you were saying about helping people. If you are playing with the bare bones biz plan. Getting really clear on what you want is paramount, and you'll do that in the setting site section. In the building the team section of your business plan, you are encouraged to put an organizational chart together and start looking at who can help you. Now, Carol, I love the tool of an organizational chart, and I really like delegating and and getting folks to help me. And One of the ways that I've gotten creative and I want to make sure we touch on is just because you have someone help you doesn't mean you have to hire a full-time person you can use um, uh, virtual assistants. You could have a, a high school kid help you. I mean, there are a lot of options, as, and, and I'm not an advocate of putting your your uh, husband or your wife to work for free. That, I think, gets a little stressful having been there. But um, there are some ways that you can reach out and get some subcontractor help, some some really tiny pieces, whispers of support without jumping in, you know, to full-time employment and a full benefits package for somebody. Does that make sense? It, it makes all the sense in the world, and I think one of the great ways that you can accomplish that, Ellen, if it's something that you're not as comfortable with, is that you can start by having a list that you keep mm-hmm. handy, and you say every time you have a task, that you feel like you could delegate to someone, put it on that list. And then just keep it in the, pretend you start having this person, this assistant or this bookkeeper or whatever it is, and start keeping that list. It gets you in the habit of delegating, even if you end up doing the task at the end of the day, but it, it, it puts, starts putting that into practice in a really low-risk sort of way. I and, am so loving that idea. And, wait, if, wait, you wait. know, we call it the, the master to-do list, and I put little boxes on my list just because, again, I'm kind of uh, scattered, and that helps me keep my bullets focused. But you could put just to the left of those to-dos a little star, a little question mark, a little smiley face, some 
code that would let you know someone else could do this for you is a lovely way to start opening yourself up to allowing help to come into your life. And it also helps you be really clear on the type of person you're looking for. So when that person shows up in your life, you know exactly what it is that you need them to do, and you know exactly how to ask them because you've been practicing for a while. So it's kind of this nice little baby step into getting help, and then you can kind of see how often, if it's something that you're not doing very often, then a service provider or an intern or someone may be appropriate. If it is something that maybe you're doing on a really regular basis, then you may go, hey, you know, maybe I need a little bit more help than I had thought. Wow. And so it really gives you that information to make a really informed decision. So I think that that's a really great way to get help. And then the key thing, as you mentioned, is that you can't just abdicate. Afterwards, you have to oversee that because it is your business, your name is on the dotted line, and you want to make sure that things are going along the way that you want it to go along. So you do have to have really good systems in place. I was with a a client yesterday who, you know, had a a retail location and certain days, you know, the music didn't get turned on in certain places or this and that. And and I went back to Michael E. Gerber that we referenced and I said, Mm -hmm. put the checklist down and have them sign it and hand it in each day because then it creates that responsibility that they've went through and basically said, I acknowledge that I have done all these things and I am putting my name on it. And then if it's not happening, you can say, well, you know, you check this box and you put your name on it. What's going on here? And it makes it really, really clear. So the more things that you can create a nice, clear system for, it's really great for the employees because they don't have to think about it. And yeah, and they so don't have to. They don't have to wonder what it takes to do a good job. I mean, exactly. it, you know, some people think, oh, I'm I'm treating these these uh, folks like they have no brains. No, we're too old to remember stuff. Checklists are fantastic, and good people like them. Yeah, they and, like and, a checklist. Let me know what I'm supposed to do. Right, and part of it's the way that you communicate it to them. I mean, you communicate to them and say, look. I know you have so many things going on, so this is a tool for you to make sure that, you know, when you have all these other things to take care of, that this little stuff doesn't fall through the crack and really make it a positive thing for them, not that you're punishing them by giving it to them or that you think that they're an idiot, but that it's a really great tool for them to make sure all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. I think that's fantastic. Hey, we have a caller. Are you ready? Okay, I'm gonna. Uh, if you if your phone number ends in one five two three one five two three, I'm gonna open up the line. Okay, hey, dear caller. Ellen. Hey. Hi, this this is Clovia Hamilton with Lemongrass Consulting. Hello, dear. How are you? Real good. I'm a huge fan of both you and Carol. Yay! And- I'm a huge fan of you too. <laughs> <laughs> I was just liking something on your Facebook page today. All right. Well, I've Yay. got a, um, a comment, really, and would lo- love for you all to chime in on it. When hiring um, employees or independent contractors, um, how best to keep them from competing with you over time and you losing your clients to them? You know, there's a... This is trend for hiring and outsourcing and using virtual assistants, um, uh, which I think is a good idea. But, you know, I do have um, friends that have done that, and they have lost clients to those folks. Yeah, I've got a a thought on this. Uh, Do you want to take a a swing first, Carol? 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's one of those things you have. It, it very, there are actually laws on this that kind of vary from state to state. So I think you definitely need to consult with a lawyer. But you may be able, depending on where you live, to put a non-compete agreement in place. And so that basically tells the people that you're hiring, look, you can certainly go into a similar business, but if you've, you engage with these particular clients or these prospective clients for a period of time, you can't call on them after. Now, I know a few states you can't do that in, but in a lot of states you can. So that may be one great way. The second thing that I would offer up to you is to make sure that you are engaged in that relationship. Don't let that relationship just be between you and the person, and make sure that the client knows that the value is coming from the entire company, not not just from that one relationship, because if it is mano y mano, you're going to be much more at risk than if they really feel like there's an entire organization behind them. I think that's great. I think that's awesome. And, Clovey, let me add just a couple of things here. One is, um, somebody taught me this once, well, so what if you don't teach them and they, uh, what, what is it, what if you train them and you get them all uh, geared up and then they leave and they go into com- competition with you? But what if you don't? teach them, and then they stay. So it's not worth not engaging in these relationships. You do want to open your heart and open yourself up to relationships with your employees and follow Carol's good um, counsel. And here's what I would say as far as developing the relationship with that virtual assistant or that subcontractor. The non-compete can communicate your intention in writing and that it's not cool to go after my clients if you decide to go into business for yourself. It's just not cool. Now, whether or not that contract is enforceable, you have looked somebody in the eye, you've had them sign it, you shake their hand, they know. And then there is the the, the karmic repercussions of someone violating that trust. And I let karma take care of it because ultimately there's plenty of work and it's not worth it's kind of like I don't want to fall in love because they might break my heart. Go ahead and fall in love. You'll survive a heartbreak. You really will. Yeah, and that's, that's another great point, Ellen, is that also when, when you're doing the interviewing, really see if you can figure out the core values of the person. I mean, is this right. a person that, that you feel like is trustworthy or is this a person that you think is there to learn and to leave? And either scenario, you know, you may be okay for you, but then again, you can make that informed decision. That's a really good but if you're you know, if, if all the, the, the T's are crossed and I's are dotted and this person looks really, really great, the time to listen to your gut on that relationship is before you hire them. Or as what what Brian Scudamore, the guy from one eight hundred Got Junk, was a great radio guest on this show once upon a time. I learned a lot from him, but he said he he's slow to hire, quick to fire. If at some point that relationship starts to break down, you can say, This isn't working, you don't have to take someone along for too long. If you're clear that the relationship isn't working anymore, you can't extricate yourself from it, and that's a good idea too. So, hope has that been of service to you, Clovia? Yeah, that's great. Great ideas. Um, you know, non-competes, uh, we think of them when we hire employees, but, you know, I, I think folks need to realize that they can have non-compete agreements with independent contractors too. So, you know, maybe I know like in my core industry working with contractors, you can't keep a plumber from plumbing. You can't keep a doctor from doctoring. You couldn't keep a a, a consultant from consulting. You can build things in there that say you can't uh, access my customers and those kinds of things. Exactly. 
And, that, and that's why it's really critical to get a lawyer involved because not only is it that you can't keep them from doing their job, but it maybe you can carve out a geographic territory or certain distribution channel, something mm -hmm. else that gives you an extra layer of protection. And so it's worth the extra money to get the legal advice up front. Right. Thank well, you, thanks, ladies. Claudia. Thank okay, you. Bye. Right on. This is fun, fun, fun. Well, Carol, I've been thinking of some other uh, uh, questions um, here now. Let's talk. I, I still want to go back to making money from day one or investing in your company and what the balance is there. I want to talk about that. But before we do that, let's talk about setting goals and setting build, big goals because I think these topics are in, interrelated. So, you know, when you say, I'm a big fan of setting goals, in fact, it seems like I'm getting better at setting my sight on something, establishing that I want it, and ta-da, having it come into my life. I'm finding that that's happening faster and easier. So let's talk a little bit about goal setting and why you feel it's so important or what kind of experiences you've had with it. Yeah, I think for me, I've looked at that my career, and any time I've had a tangible goal, it's been very easy for me to figure out one or more paths to get there and know exactly what to do next. The, the periods where I personally struggled have been when I just kind of do what's in front of me, when business is coming in and I haven't really been thoughtful or strategic or had an end game in sight. And I've seen that not only with my own experience, but with countless other entrepreneurs. And so I think that it's, it's really critical to have that tangible goal, but I also think it's really important to stretch yourself because, you know, one of the things, and I, I think about what we said with the, the venture capital story you put forth at the beginning, is that you know, a lot of times you're worried if you set a goal that's too high, then what happens if you don't reach it? Maybe I'll just sandbag it a little so I'll mm -hmm. feel good about myself and make sure that I reach the goal. And the challenge is, is that it really limits you because in achieving goals, in my opinion, you kind of start with the end and you work backwards. And uh -huh. so that's probably where you're going to tap out if you do everything the right way. But if you really push the limits, if you take a goal and figure out what's comfortable and then, like, triple it, uh -huh. then you're really going to get the big breakthrough. And so for most people, the risk and reward of pushing yourself to that extra goal, assuming that, it, again, it's not betting the farm financially, but a lot of times the downside is just a bruised ego if you don't get there. And that seems like a really good risk to take um, in most scenarios. So I can, I can speak with, for myself that uh, you know, one of my big goals was to, um, you know, to be on television, which was actually kind of a, a, a milestone goal in terms of my larger vision for my business. And I you know, had always wanted to be on television. I always thought it was cool, but never really set it as an intention, just kind of said, yeah, if it happens, great. And so from my perspective, um, I was unwilling to do that for a long time. And really the only reason I could come up with is because I didn't want people to point and laugh at me when it didn't happen. You know, I had visions of Tickle Me Elmo, like pounding the floor, like rolling over in laughter. <laughs> and the reality is that nobody was going to do that, right? You, nobody no. cared. And so it was just my own limiting beliefs. So I said, I don't care. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to tell people, which was really frightening. But what it did is it gave me the a kick in the butt then to make it happen. And so I worked backwards and I said, well, if I wanted to have my own television show, I probably need to have been on national television. And to be on national TV, I probably needed to be on local television. And to be on local TV, I need to have, you know, a whole portfolio of videos that prove that I can do this. 
and oh, by the way, it's probably some good practice to make sure that I'm any good at it and to get out all the issues up front and all those good things. And the funny thing is when I work backwards, when I get out down to video, I went, hey, that's something that I can control. I can do that. And that's actually how I started uh, my journey is that I had my brother-in-law pull out the video camera and we produced, you know, video segments and then threw them up on a website. And so love this. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah, so this is something that I could actually do. I didn't have to wait for permission for anyone. I could be proactive in doing it. And you know what? The first ones weren't very good, and it was a lot of freaking work because I had to edit those myself too, and I am not a technology person. But mm-hmm. I went on Google, and I figured out enough to be dangerous, and I did something, and it was a step in the right direction. And then I reverse engineered it. It was, okay, I've done this. You know, how can I improve it? Okay, can I hire a PR firm? PR firm, is this good enough for you to go out and get me a local appearance? And then the local, can you take that and go get national and, and so on and so forth? And so it's, it really is doing, working backwards and doing what is in your control and, and, and investing and being serious about it to really meet that big goal and then being willing to tell everyone that's your goal because along the way then people were helpful. Oh, I know a great PR firm who might be helpful to you. Oh, I know, you know, a manager. I didn't know you wanted to be TV. Do you want to talk to this manager? Do you want to talk to this agent? And if I hadn't been willing to have this really big goal and to tell people, then other people couldn't help me and I couldn't help myself. So I think that's... I'm uh, so loving this. So now let's dovetail this a little bit with... Um, uh, startup capital and uh, um, let's let's get this conversation on the table. Yes, we talked before about making sure that uh, you have enough capital to get your business started. And yes. my concern is that you could burn through that before you learn some bootstrapping yes. lessons. Yes. Like if someone gave me a million dollars, I tell you this like I know, like I know. If someone gave me a million dollars once upon a time and I was going to start my business, I probably would have burned through the million first yes. before I figured out how to sell something for more than it costs and actually <laughs> create money out of nothing. Yes. And so my concern is that some people don't get that you can create your own capital by selling something first, delivering that promise, and charging enough for that sale in the first place that you can deliver it and then have something left over, that you can grow your company through profits. Even as a modest start, you don't necessarily have to go borrow money. So let's talk. You set a big goal. You want to make this thing go. You really need to get a big chunk of cash or an investor to launch it. That's, you know, it's, it's very interesting, and I think we're on the same page, and there's probably just some semantic distinction. So I view that as, as the job is testing something out on a small scale to see the viability, and you can have a small defined budget for that that you bootstrap. But when you're ready to go to the next level, when you've tested this and you feel like you have this planned and figured out and you want to take it to the next level, that's where you need to be willing to invest and it's an investment okay. of time, of money, and of effort, and you need to have the money to be able to, to you know, kind of really start it up in a big way to sustain it for time because there will be sales cycles that potentially take longer than you think, and there will be bumps in the road, and you have to have enough money to live on. And if you're going to go for a balls-to-the-wall crazy goal, you have to be able to fund it. I couldn't have done what I did 
over the last couple of years at any other point in my career. Um, early on, because financially I couldn't have afforded it, but a couple of years ago, because from a mindset, even though I literally could have afforded it, I couldn't get my head wrapped around and comfortable with making that level of investment in my business. And so I would have never gotten to where I am today if it would have been a couple years before because I was not prepared myself to do that. So I think that there's sort of two distinctions there, and I want to make sure that they're both very clear. I think that I think you you did a, a lovely job there. There is this. I, we just keep running into paradoxes in business and, and and in life. Paradoxes are two things that seem to be at odds with each other, but are indeed both true. And I think that's where you're going with your business. You can bootstrap it, but then when you're ready to take that next leap, there is some risk involved. There's yes. there is just no avoiding. A, a, a bigger risk with a bigger dream. Right, right. And, and one and of the things to job, uh, just, job. yes, go ahead. One of the things to keep in mind is, well, if the whole thing blew up, you'd end up with a story, and could you survive it? And if you could, that can also <laughs> <laughs> giving you a little encouragement too when you're starting to think, I don't know, I don't know if exactly. I should go. Exactly. And Neat. That's that's where the whole jobby, you know, job business and bona fide business is, and that's why it's a spectrum, and that's why you can move along through different phases when you are ready, um, both in terms of your preparedness mentally and through experience and finances, and you have all of those things that you've done to stack the odds in your favor. Well, one way to create um, cash is to make sure you're val- valuing your time and your experience. And I put this on our our little uh, 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 cheat sheet here on the on barebonesbiz.com forward slash radio. I've got these bullet points that I really wanted to talk to you about. Let's talk about that because so often I see that people don't value their time and energy. Certainly I've had challenges uh, with this throughout my life. And, and uh, Mark Victor Hansen, the chicken soup for the soul guy, yes. told me once upon a time that you can raise your prices as often as you raise your self-esteem. And I think that that might be part of what you, you are um, talking about here. So talk about valuing your time and your experience. Yes, the best way that I could frame this is I go back to my friend Andrea Lee of Pink Spoon Marketing, and she talks about Baskin Robbins and how they give you the little pink spoon taste of ice cream for free mm-hmm. to get the customer hooked. And then the challenge that I'm seeing from a lot of entrepreneurs is that after they've given that taste and the person goes, oh, that's good, okay, what can I get a cone, can I get a hot fudge sundae, then they go, oh, okay, sure, do you want that for free? Or, yeah, I'll just charge you 10 cents because I'm not sure if you're going to like me or you're going to like the hot fudge sundae. And it's like, no, you've given them the taste, they're interested, now it's time to sell. And so you have to sell and you have to evaluate, in my opinion, the value that you're bringing to the customer. That is what you should be valuing. And that means that you're putting not, you're charging not only for your time but for your experience and what you're delivering at the end of the day. Because we all know, especially in a service-based business, that you cannot possibly charge for every hour of your time. You have to prepare. You have to do marketing. You have to do these other things. And you need to make sure that you can make a living while doing that. So it's really important to take that into account. And the the litmus test, in my opinion, is saying, is this something that at this, this dollar amount, is this 
something that the client can get a return on investment. It shouldn't be an expense for them. It should be something that they're getting a return for and that mm-hmm. creates a value for them. And so, you know, it may be, in my case, you know, my um, when I do strategy for, for companies, I'm probably, I charge about four times as much as a lot of my competitors. But the reality is I work six times faster and get results that are exponentially probably even more than that. So yes, theoretically I'm more more uh, expensive on a per hour basis, but in reality I'm giving you a lot of value, and I know 100% every person is going to get a return on that that investment. That when they spend the money with me, they're going to get a lot more out of that um, from their business. And so I think it's it's really clear that you have to frame it in terms of the value from the customer. That's how that they're going to buy. And then you work backwards again to find out at that level, is it something that you can make a living from? I had a woman who was telling me that, you know, she wanted to be a virtual assistant and that at the rate that she was charging, which was, you know, the the going rate that people were willing to pay for um, virtual assistants, that she just, she could make more money elsewhere. And so they're right. like, well, then that's the answer. <laughs> you, know, well, you know the answer. You can only charge so much. Even if you think your time is worth $10,000 an hour, nobody's paying that for virtual assistance. So then it's an opportunity cost. And if you have something else that's going to be more lucrative, that needs to factor into your risk and reward evaluation. Unless you differentiate yourself. Like, like you said, I, what you just communicated in terms of being more expensive, working faster, getting better faster, um, results for your client. That is what it takes to be professional and to attract what you put out, right? I yeah, mean, I am feeling that energy from you. Yeah, and that is so huge. It, it is attracting what you put out there. If you do not think that there is value in your services, which I've seen a lot of people, and, and I hate to call it out, but women especially, that, oh, well, I do this and it's not that good. And if you put that out there, everyone else is going to think that. So, you know, I, it's not just it's not just women though, Carol. I work with mostly men. I, you know, I'm the wife of a plumber. This is how I became. Uh, uh, it, it, this is how I was like. Uh, uh, my career has been in the contracting industry because of that. And I'll tell you, these the professionals that with whom I work, who know these things that would blow your mind. You know, right now in Japan, if there is any saving to be done, it's going to be the plumbers. The plumbers have to remove the water. They have to bring potable water. They have to cool those reactors. It's pipes and pumps, and the plumbers will save the day. And if I had a nickel for every time I've heard, well, I'm just a plumber, I'm never going to make a lot of money, it blows my mind how valuable valuable those services are. And yet for folks to whom those skills come easily, they tend to discount them. And I think that's the issue. You know, It is that self-esteem issue that's not seeing – you're not seeing – what your skill set is in terms of value makes so much difference right. in and what you're, you're willing and able to charge. Right, and if you're not confident about that, if you don't believe you're providing value, nobody else is going to believe it either. So true, and that's what you mean about attracting and magnetizing people who are going to say, yes, that's who I want. That confidence, that um, clarity of what she can do for me, what he can do for me is is going to make all the difference here. And and it's it's interesting, too, I'll tell you that people a lot of times who say no, it's too expensive, come back very quickly and go, when when you respond to their no and go, that's okay. I've got plenty of other things to do. Mm-hmm. Then it's then it's being chased instead of chasing somebody, and that's very powerful as well. So true, and and you know, very expensive compared to what? Compared to not getting these things handled. 
compared but to not having your dreams come true? Right, not getting taking your business to the next level. And, and I tell yeah. people all the time, if you can't invest this amount of money in your business, then you, I can't help you anyway. It's, it's irrelevant. You won't be able to take the advice I'm going to put towards. So we've just self-selected, and, and we're not a good match here. Well, we we I, I knew this hour would just go rocking fast. I want yes. you to talk about two more things for me, okay? Yes. One is there's more to the story about your television show, and I want to hear that. And I also know that you've got a brand new book that comes out on Amazon next week. So why don't you tell us about both those things? Yes, all right. I'll start with the book. The book is called The Entrepreneur Equation, and it dives deep into a lot of the topics we've been talking about today. I was very discouraged by the seven steps to success books that were out there for entrepreneurs. And uh, as we've talked about before, Ellen, there's no right answer for anyone. We all have different definitions of success. So if we all have different end games, there couldn't possibly be one plan and path to get there. And so I really wanted to create a a framework very much like you do with your business plans that would apply to everybody's specific circumstances, goals, and objectives. And it walks you through the motivation. It walks you through the timing. It walks you through the opportunity and the personality, whether you're starting a business or you're stuck in your own business, to really help you realign those factors and make the rewards greatly outweigh the risks, or if not, rethink your strategy, rethink your business model, et cetera. So it's um, available next week is the official launch, and it is available anywhere fine books are sold. And uh, I will I will give you my personal guarantee that you will find value out of it. If you did not find value out of it after reading it, come come see me. I I can, I can guarantee that. Um, and uh, if you just look do if you just search for the entrepreneur equation, you'll see all the things that um, other folks are saying about it. I've been very blessed and humbled um, that I've had three people call it the best book on entrepreneurship that's ever been written. I've had people call it the prequel and the new E Myth. Um, so really really fantastic. Press um, and the book's not even out yet. So if everyone goes over to theentrepreneurequation.com, or if that's too hard to spell, go to carolroth.com and click on book. It'll take you over there. You can actually download a free chapter. Michael Port wrote the foreword. That's included as well. And then it'll give you links to Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all the different places where you can order it. So that's that's item number one that uh, we're about on the big goals uh, uh, scenario here. And then um, the other part which I referenced in terms of my big goals is that I was signed um, last year to a production company based out of Los Angeles that has uh, worked on many, many shows that you're very familiar with. And they came out um, several weeks ago to film a television pilot revolving around me and my life as a business expert. And so we are in the editing process right now. And they are cutting Yay. a number of different looks for different networks. And uh, at the end of the day here, pretty soon we will be going out on the network roadshow, and I'll be meeting all the execs and finding the best home for it. So that is uh, my big plan for the next couple of months here. Oh, well, super congratulations to you. If you need any help or a guest star, sweetheart, I would love to play with you. <laughs> well, thank you. I will, I will that in mind it's so funny everyone keeps talking to me about that and, and the funny thing is for people who don't understand how the tv thing works is that you know you can put whatever you want out to the networks 
and then the networks go, that's great, and we love it, except we want to take all the people out, and we want to replace them with sock puppets, and we want everyone to wear roller skates. <laughs> and then you're kind of like, does that work for me? Well, it's still a TV show. Okay. So literally, it's, it's sort of irrelevant. Like, we don't even know what this is going to end up looking like, because depending on which network it is, um, you know, they may have different wants or needs or things that are, you know, hot or appealing to them. So I, I keep laughing, and people say, well, what's the name? What's it going to look like? And it's like, well, I, I could tell you, but that may not be what Hey, but you know what? You put yourself out there. You reverse engineered. You're going to yeah. always have a story, and uh, good for you for yeah. for thinking big and reaching to the stars. I think you are just fantastic, and I've enjoyed this hour so much, Carol. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And I will continue to be a, a blogger on your your um, rock and blog. Thank you. No, I appreciate your support, and it's so fantastic to be connected with you, and I appreciate you letting me um, spread my information and, and knowledge to your community. It's really fantastic. Oh, I've had an absolute ball. Thanks to Clovia for participating, and yes. uh, thank you for listening today. So remember to uh, check in again, barebonesbiz.com. Name, email address. We'll send you our top ten tips for creating a profitable business plan, no matter which business model you use. It doesn't matter. Just craft your intention, take inspired action, and make your dreams come true. Carol, it's been absolutely fantastic playing with you today. Loved it, loved it. We'll have to do it again soon, Ellen. It's a promise. So we'll keep an eye out for Carol. We'll check out the uh, entrepreneur equation. And we're going to go, go, go. We're out of time. I'll see you later, Carol. All right. Take care, Ellen. Bye-bye. Oh, no. We're out of time. Thanks to my super smart guest, and thank you for joining us. You can listen in again at blogtalkradio.com slash barebonesbiz. So down with the ball and chain of 20-hour workdays and piles of debt. Make some money. Fix and grow your own extraordinary business. And until next time, this is Ellen. I wish you love, peace, prosperity, and freedom.